Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Gabriella Green. I'm on staff here at Highland Park, and um, I'm really excited to be here today. I'm especially excited that all of our kids are here. Um, it's always, there's more energy when you guys are in the room, and I'm just really glad that I get to teach and talk with you today. And I feel really privileged to speak on a topic and a passage that I've been able to study in both my undergrad at Ozark Christian College, and now I'm studying in my master's at Denver Seminary. Um, it's really cool how God has just brought everything together. And so we've been in a series of First Thessalonians called Faith, Hope, Love. The very first week, Dave Dunson talked to us about how God's word and spirit change us. And then the next week, Nathan Storms talked about the antidote for suffering. Brian Jennings then shared about purity and love and sanctification. And next week, the director of diversity from Ozark Christian College, Matthew McBirth, will join us and speak on the church. But today, today we will be talking about how should Christians prepare for Christ's return. And I'm warning you ahead of time that you might not like the answer. And well, first of, all, first of all, it's not about preparing with actions as much as it is preparing your heart. And hear me on this, we will never do enough to earn a ticket into heaven. There's nothing we could ever do that would make God love us any more or any less. He loves us no matter what. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. However, James and Paul and even Jesus make it very clear that faith and works are connected. When we have faith, we live a life that reflects that faith. And we don't do good things because it's required of us. We do good things because it is the natural response to the incredible, beautiful gift of grace. So within this first section, Paul is specifically talking to two different groups. The first group is painfully concerned about the what will happen to those who believed and died before Christ's return. What happens to those who die before Christ's return? So this is going to be an interactive sermon, so you might have to bear with me a bit, but the words are going to be up on the screen for this text, and I'll read what's in white, and I'm going to ask that you guys read the colored text, okay? All right, so 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And regarding the question, friends, that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried, we don't want you in the dark any longer. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died in Jesus. And then this, we can tell you with complete confidence, we have the master's word on it, that when the master comes again to get us, those of us who are still alive will not get a jump on the dead and leave them behind. In actual fact, they'll be ahead of us. The master himself will give the command, Archangel Thunder, God's trumpet blast. Oh, we'll be walking on air. And then there will be one huge family reunion with the master. 
So reassure one another with these words. Thank you guys for participating in that way. And so according to scripture, the first way that we prepare for Christ's return is by hoping in the night. I was able to serve at VBS at Highland Park for the first time this year, and they did hand motions for all of the songs and and the verses that they memorized, and I loved it. And so we're going to be using a little bit of sign language today to help us remember. And I told you that this is going to be pretty interactive, so I'm going to need a little bit more participation with this. And kids, you might have to help your parents out because I know you guys are experts by now. But our first one is hope, hope in the night. And the sign for hope is like reaching out and pulling hope from God's abundance. And so let's try that one more time. Hope in the night. That's awesome. Um, And so it's one thing to hope in the day, but isn't it a whole other story to hope in the night? I would like to share with you a story of nine-year-old Calla. Calla's family lives in Indiana, and her father is a pastor at a wonderful church that I interned at several years ago. Calla loved Jesus very much, and she had accepted him into her heart and had been baptized about six months ago. And well, two months ago, Calla started having migraines, and they went to the hospital, and they ran several tests, and they didn't have any answers. They ended up having to travel to Cincinnati for more tests, but they had already seen um, the masses in her brain that weren't supposed to be there. Nine years old. Surgeries revealed tumors, and tumors led to radiation and chemo. And all the while, Kala, nine-year-old Kala, radiated hope. Her parents radiated hope. Hope for a miracle, hope for the future. And a common phrase that Kala's parents used was to raise a hallelujah. And that's exactly what they did in the midst of this dark night. They created a Facebook group to gather an army of prayer warriors to be vulnerable and to preach the gospel of the hope of Jesus. They had so much hope. But the cancer was really, really aggressive. And um, two weeks ago, it won. Within two months, a child was ripped from her family, nine years old, and yet, and yet every update, every post along the way was filled to the brim with hope. Thousands of people have been affected by Kala's story. Thousands have prayed for a miracle, and thousands are now mourning in the aftermath. After her death, her parents posted, there are no words but there is peace. Our sweet Kala is with her king. No pain, no suffering, no fear, no tears, no medicine, no treatments, no unknown, only joy. Cancer may have hurt her body, but Jesus has rescued her soul. And our hearts join in the celebration of Kala's homecoming. Her funeral was an incredible homecoming. They posted it on Facebook Live. I wish I could just show the whole thing because it was incredible. They worshipped, they celebrated that their daughter was now worshipping, worshipping the king in heaven. And the Woods family illustrates how to hope in the night. 
For although we grieve, we do not grieve as those without hope. Ben and Crystal Woods, her parents, know that they will one day be reunited with Caleb because death is not the end. It is the beginning of an eternity. Death is horrible and scary and painful, and all of us know someone who's been touched by death. But let me speak this truth to you today, church. Death was defeated by Christ on the cross, and one day, one day death will die. Grief will die. Every tear will be wiped up, and everything will be as it should. We'll be reunited with all those who accepted Christ and passed before us. We won't be sad anymore. We'll be raising our hallelujah to the king alongside of Caleb and our loved ones who've passed before us. We have such an incredible hope. No one else has a hope like us. And so what do we do with that hope? We tell others about that hope. Because our hope isn't our own, and so we have no choice but to share it. Kids, students, you're never too young to give somebody hope. You guys aren't the next generation of the church. You're the church now. You're part of the church now. And the Lord has given you the authority to share his good news of his hope. So don't keep it to yourself, because our world desperately needs some good news. And then remind one another of this hope. Life is difficult, and just because we know the hope doesn't mean we don't need to be reminded of the hope. And so continue to remind one another of that hope. And you're already doing this. Just keep doing it. Now, Paul was also talking to a second group. I don't think, friends, that I need to deal with the question of when all this is going to happen. You know. About the time everybody's walking around complacently, congratulating each other, saying, We've sure got it made, now we can take it easy. Suddenly, everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and inescapably as birth pangs to a pregnant woman. We can't skip over this. This is the second group who's concerned about the who and the why and the where and the, the what of the second coming. And Paul basically says, hey, don't miss the point. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In John 21, 20 through 23, Peter the apostle asked Jesus what would happen to the apostle John because he had heard a rumor um, from the other the disciples, that John wouldn't die. And it's kind of funny that the disciples gossiped and it was recorded. Uh, but do you know what Jesus said to that? Jesus basically said, mind your own business. Fix your eyes on me. You follow me. Distraction will only distract you from finishing the race well. And let me tell you, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you distracted. So fix your eyes on Jesus. You're already doing this. Just keep doing it. So let's get our hand motions ready. We hope in the night. And the second way we prepare is by living in the light. So the word for light is like a little light bulb comes, comes on. So living in the light. Let's try it one more time. Living in the light. Awesome. 
Um, the word for faith is often translated in the New Testament as faithfulness or trustworthiness. And so it would be fitting that maybe we attach this second passage to integrity. But friends, you're not in the dark, so how could you be taken off guard by any of this? You're sons of light, daughters of day. We live under wide open skies and know where we stand. Walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. That sounds familiar. On social media, I asked the question, what is integrity? And I've got several great responses, uh, but the one that stuck with me said, consistency. Consistency between what you confess and your lifestyle. Consistency between words and actions. Consistency between who you are in public and who you are in private. Several people also mentioned your walk matches your talk. So I've never cheated on a test before, but I definitely have turned a deaf ear whenever my teacher forgot that we had a quiz or a test in that matter. And in this one class I had at Ozark, we would have these like crazy difficult quizzes every single week to the point of where most of the class just stopped studying. Um, and one day, one glorious, beautiful, incredible, amazing, blessed day, our professor forgot that we had a quiz. Oh man, all of my classmates and I, we were looking at each other with these smug grins, like an understanding that we would you know, survive another day. And it was, it, it was an incredible moment, really. But there was Phil. And uh, Phil, Phil's a smart guy. He uh, would always study for the test, okay? He was very smart, and, and so he was always prepared for the quizzes. And he sat behind me, and he tapped my shoulder and was like, hey, didn't we have a quiz today? I immediately shushed him and was like, don't say a word or you'll ruin it for the rest of us. Um, and I'm not proud of this. But So every time he would raise his hand throughout the period of the class, I would try to steer the professor to a different conversation away from him. And finally, he gets called on. And he says, uh, I might get excommunicated from the rest of the class for saying this, but didn't we have a quiz today? Oh, my goodness. Our teacher was like, oh, I totally forgot. I'll go make copies. We'll take it right now. And you just hear this, this groan go across the class. And Phil got a lot of glares that day. Um, and I remember being so frustrated at Phil because he just had to be that guy, that guy who was actually consistent with what he lived and what he wrote about, what he believed. And the truth is, is that sometimes integrity is really unpopular and it's really inconvenient. But truthfully, he was living in the light while we were living in the shadows. And that example seems lighthearted and kind of silly, but sometimes living the light might look like being honest with what you do for your work hours. Um, maybe it's being patient with your spouse or your kids in front of people and also in private. 
Maybe living in the light looks like being truthful about something that you struggle with or an addiction that you're stuck in, even if it hurts your pride a little bit, which it will. Whatever it is, choose to live in the light. And again, it's not as much about doing the right thing as much as it is about your heart. If we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, then it gets really easy to become distracted and slowly disappear into living the routine of life in the darkness. And it's really hard to see in the darkness. And, you know, if you're walking around in the dark, it's, you might stub your toe or trip over a rock or step on someone else's toe. And so when we walk in the dark, we hurt ourselves and we also hurt others. And so walk in the light. But just because we walk in the light doesn't mean we don't sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. And we get so uncomfortable when it comes to vulnerability. But, you know, God is not afraid of your shortcomings. You might be afraid of them, but God's not. In fact, he's beside you. He's within you. He's gone before you. And if you ask forgiveness, he is always faithful to forgive you. But if you aren't repenting and you're living in the darkness... Can I ask why? Why are you hiding? I think for most of us, it's fear. We hide because we're afraid of being accused or judged or labeled as the shame that we already feel. And the thing with living in sin is that it's a cycle. We sin, and then that sin is quickly followed by shame. And then that shame just leads to more sin and more shame and more sin. And so let's stop the cycle, right? How do we do that? We do that by sprinting from temptation to accountability. And so we sprint from the darkness. If there's a possible situation of something that might tempt you, run. Run the other way and don't look back. Students, Y'all have it really, really hard in this culture, especially with all the stuff, you know, that's available. So run. And that goes for everyone. If no one's home and you feel tempted, call someone. Get out of the house because nothing spurs on sin like isolation. And so run from that temptation to accountability. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you think you may be capable of overcoming, everybody needs accountability. Nobody's exempt from sin. And so find that someone who you can trust loves God and also loves you, and then be vulnerable with them. You don't have to tell the whole world, but you do have to tell someone. So I'm going to give us just 30 seconds, okay? 30 seconds, and just think of one person that you might talk to about your struggles. It doesn't even, if a struggle could be something huge in your mind or it could be something small, whatever it is, think of one person you can share that with. And then I want you to maybe write their name down or maybe you just remember that name, okay? So 30 seconds. Y'all, this is super important. Living in the light doesn't mean that we don't sin, but it does mean that when we do sin, we own up to it.
And so we choose to live in the light because it brings us closer to God and closer to one another. And, you know, we know, I know, that we're already doing these things. You're already doing these things. Just keep doing it. Keep going. So let's get our hands ready. We prepare by hoping in the night. We prepare by living in the light. And the final way we prepare is by loving with all our might. And so love with all our might. Try that one more time. Love with all our might. You guys are so good at this. You need to go on America's Got Talent or something. But verses 9 through 11, God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep doing it. So the church in Thessalonica was already known for their faith and their hope and their love. So why mention it again? Because loving people is really hard sometimes, isn't it? It is. Just like any family, the church is filled with people who are different from one another, and sometimes tensions rise, disagreements turn into arguments, and arguments generally turn into bitterness. And it's incredibly difficult to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus when bitterness clouds our judgment. And so Yom Kippur is also called Day of Atonement, um, and it is the holiest of all Jewish festivals. It's once a year, and actually this year it falls on October 9th, and Leviticus 16 gives an account of this holy mandated celebration. There would be two goats. The high priest would sacrifice the first goat, but the second goat, well, he would lay his hands on that goat and confess all of the sins of the people of Israel. And so then that goat was led out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. But when the priest came back, the Israelites went wild. They were celebrating like a celebration you've never seen before because their sins were not only forgiven, but also now forgotten. They've disappeared. It was called the scapegoat. And Jesus became the fulfillment of that scapegoat. It's because he died on the cross that we're forgiven. That's how God forgives. Once he forgives us, our sin forever disappears. He forgives and forgets. Can you imagine uh, if we forgave one another like that? Can you imagine that? I, I can't even imagine what would happen if we forgave and we forgot. The world wants us to accuse one another and to bring one another down. The world wants us to gossip about one another, about other Christians. They want to see us collapse from the inside out. But what would the church look like if we forgave and we gave people the clean slate that Christ gave us? Colossians 3.13 says, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It would be really hard. But then again, nothing extraordinary is ever easy. 
In fact, in talking about the moon landing, President John F. Kennedy said, we do these things not because they are easy, right, but because they are hard. And sometimes choosing to love people who have hurt us or wronged us or have just rubbed us wrong feels like we're shooting for the moon. But really, we're just fixing our eyes on Jesus and keeping the main thing the main thing. And have you noticed that praying for the people you don't like actually changes how you feel about them? It's really hard to be upset or angry with someone that you're praying for. And trust me, I have tried. But the Holy Spirit has more in store for us than bitterness. He offers heart transformation. And so pray for one another. It's the most powerful thing in the world that you can do. The church in Thessalonica was known for their love. Recently, I've had several people mention how difficult it is to love the church. Not this church specifically, but the Big C Church. And every time I've heard that, I've been overwhelmed with stories and memories of your all's love. After being here almost a year, I personally have been deeply touched and moved by the love of this church. When I first came to Highland Park, bless you, I knew nobody in Oklahoma besides my now husband and his family. My parents lived 10 hours away, and I had no friends here, but you all welcomed me. You loved me with kind words of encouragement. You shared your resources, your homes, your lives with me. I was thrown into a small group, and they quickly became like family. And they loved me through prayer and fellowship, and most importantly, food. <laughs> As my marriage approached in the spring, incredible women of this church loved me by throwing me a wedding shower. And some of them didn't even know me very well, and they threw me a shower. They didn't have to. Again, I was overwhelmed as you illustrated your love by pouring into my marriage so early by making my husband feel loved and known as well. The worship arts team has loved me so well and has been so patient with me. The staff has demonstrated love through support and constant affirmation. And I have several things hanging in my house made with love by some of you kids. And I love them. I have been loved by this church and more stories have confirmed that I'm not the only one. I've seen you love through praying for one another in everything big and little. I've seen the deep love you pour out on the community through the 220 Center, Fall Fun Fest, Grief Share, basketball, and a million other things that you don't have to do, but you do anyways, because when you love, you love with all your might. I've seen you love through both the joy of a newborn baby and the tragedy of a miscarriage. I've seen you love the widow, the orphan, the foreigners, and the poor, you have loved one another in the midst of politics. You have loved one another in the face of addiction, confusion, and grief without any judgment. I've heard the stories. You all have loved well. Just keep doing it. Hope, faith, and love. You're already doing these things, but continue to do so and more. So, what can you do today? What can you do right after this service? You can give hope by sharing the gospel. 
You can live in the light by reaching out to that person that you can trust loves God and also loves you. You can love with all your might by being kind without expecting anything in return, by inviting someone to lunch or praying for someone. There are so many things that you could do after service today. Not tomorrow, after service today. But I'm going to give us a moment to reflect because if you don't decide right now to do something, you won't do it. And today will just be another Sunday. But remember, you're already doing these things. But don't stop. Keep going and do more and more. So let's take a moment to reflect. Maybe you feel like God's grace doesn't fully cover you, all that you've done. Maybe you have doubts. Maybe you aren't sure what's going to happen when Jesus returns because you don't know where you stand. Maybe you've never heard the gospel. And if you haven't, then I feel really humbled and honored to share it with you because it is the most beautiful story ever written. And it has profoundly changed my life and the life of millions of others. And so here is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he took on human nature and lived a sinless life so that he may be the ultimate sacrifice to not only cover, but to take our sin upon himself, though he never sinned. He died on a cross, even when we didn't know him, even when we were his enemies, so that, he could be, so that we could be reconciled to God, others, creation, and ourselves. He loved us so much that he took our place. He was buried in a tomb, but Jesus didn't stay there. He resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. God, the Holy Spirit, now lives inside of all those who've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Jesus is returning. He's coming back to judge the world, make all things new, and be reunited with his church. He's not forgotten us. He has not left us here. He is returning for who are his. Amen and hallelujah. It never gets old to me. This amazing story, this amazing, wonderful, incredible news. We are forgiven. We are made new. And Jesus is returning for us. He's returning for you, for me, for all of us. What response can we have but hope? What response can we have but faith and love and worship and obedience? So we're going to continue to worship. And we'll have people up here on the sides that would love to pray with you. Whatever it is, big or small, these people are here to pray and to talk with you, not to judge you. And so 
Let's do our motions one more time. Hope in the night. Live in the light and love with all your might. You're already doing these things. Just keep doing them. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep doing them. Would you please close your eyes as I read this over us? And one day he will return. The groom to his bride, the shepherd to his sheep, the king to his people. We won't know the hour of the day, but we didn't need to. We'll hear that trumpet blast and know it's the last. The dead will rise with him, our loved ones restored. They will be shouting praises to the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He will be glorious. He will be mighty. He will sit on a throne of justice and mercy. He will right all of the wrong. He will bind up all of the broken. He will look at us and not see our sins, but see his beloved whom he died for. All of our debt already paid on that tree. We will be reunited with our creator. His kingdom has come. No more tears, no more fears, just celebration, just his love. We will finally be home. Everything as it should be. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Come soon. Would you all please stand and continue to worship our mighty God, Jesus, who is coming soon.